Genesis chapter 1. There's two verses I want to read. I want to read verse 2 and verse 9. Verse 2. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Everyone say chaos. Chaos. Mm -hmm. Verse 9. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And so out of chaos, God took all the waters. Look at this now. The waters were in various places and they were not together. And God had to define the boundaries of the water because if God did not define the boundaries of the water land would not be consistently dry the shoreline is held in place by the gravitational pull of the moon think about that God has set up the boundaries of the water and of the land. And before he did that, there was chaos. Mm -hmm. Everybody said amen. We have young uh, college students here, young adults here, people that that may uh, be single. Maybe there are single fathers here, single mothers Uh, There are blended families here. Um, So I just want you to know the word is for everyone. And and we're going to talk about it. Now, if you've never been married, you're a young adult. These lessons are critical for you. You're going to want them the rest of your life. They're going to work for you. Amen. Everybody said amen. Okay, turn to someone. Wait a second. Turn to someone in just a moment. And I just, I want you to share one small pleasantry with them and and exhibit some kind of uh, love or compassion on them and just thank them maybe for being around you. you you have to say something kind to people around you so just before you're seated would you do that uh, okay it's we're struggling we got it we're doing good <laughs> Amen. Everybody said amen. Amen. All right. All right. All right. All right. And you may be seated. Thank you. If you have a notepad or you want to write, these are the, these are the Sunday mornings that would be uh, beneficial for you to take notes. I just want everyone to know that no one is exempt from family. I was going to say from trouble, but they might be synonymous. No one is exempt from family. People could say, well, Pastor, I don't have a large family or, you know, or whatever. You, you have family. Everyone has family. 
And the second thing I want you to know is peace. Oh, peace. Wouldn't it be great if we had peace? Peace, ladies and gentlemen, comes through order. Out of chaos, out of trouble, order is the way, the pathway to peace. When things are out of order, there is always chaos. When your life is out of order and your family is out of order, the boundaries are not set, things swirl, and you don't have peace. When your health is out of order, even though you might have had a prayer request or something, you know that just that little gnawing inside of you that you're not right and you don't have peace. There's an affliction, I don't think it's new, but it just seems to be more apparent, of great depression that is really levied upon all people, and we are not exempt in the church. People have great depression and anxiety. Amen. And I've been praying, it seems that Tammy and I have prayed in the last two or three months for, for at least two or three dozen people that have shared with us a need I want us to have peace in our lives. I'm praying for peace in your life. Now, my prayer is for peace, but there's a whole lot of things we have to do to accomplish that. Um, So if we're going to have peace, we have to have order. And so just as the introductory for today, I'm going to talk a little bit about the accomplishment of that for all of our families. This is Judges chapter 4, verse 1. And let me just kind of bring us into this narrative. Um, We'll read two different versions, but Judges 4 and 1. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Ehud was dead. That was a judge. The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, reigned in Hazar, the captain of of whose host was Sisera. He was the wicked king. He dwelt in Herosheth of the Gentiles. Sisera. The children of Israel, of course, now are crying to the Lord because he had 900 chariots of iron. That means he was very strong. 20 years he oppressed them. Here's verse 4. Think of this. Deborah, the prophetess, she judged Israel. Verse 5. And this is what I love. She dwelt under the palm tree. It was named after her between Ramah and Bethel in this nondescript piece of property. Skip down to verse 8. I'll read from the NIV. Sisera is coming after the children of Israel and they want to be relieved from this wicked king. And there's a man who is, his name is Barak, and he is charged with um, setting or leading the children of Israel free and and. Releasing the iron grip, literally, from the hands of, of Sisera. And Deborah, he goes to Deborah and he says, go with me and help us. She's the prophetess. He said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. Deborah is not happy with this arrangement. The prophetess is not happy with this arrangement. And she says... Okay, I'll go with you. But you're doing it wrong. 
you're out of order. And because of the way you're going about this, the honor is not going to go to you. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. He thinks it's her. He's okay if she gets the honor. He's okay with it. So she went with him to Kadesh. So Barak and Deborah, they're very different people. Barak, he's a ruler. He's a military man. He's a judge in Israel. He is supposed to be the leader of the people. And Deborah is a prophetess. So the story, of course, is that this oppressor, Sisera, with 900 chariots, tormenting the people of Israel. He's coming after them. And the children of Israel need help. They cry out and God sets up. He's been raising up this man, Barak, to lead them against the enemy. But Barak is not a strong man. He's called to be a man, but he's not a strong man. And he should have been a strong man. And she says, you're going about the wrong way. And because you are going about the wrong way, the honor is not going to you. Now, you might not think that's a big deal in our world, but that was a judgment against him. And he basically relents and says, bye with me. Come on. If you'll go, I'll go. You should have gone without her. She did not want to get any recognition, but he was a weak man. And the glory is going to go to another. And so the battle ensues and the children of Israel prevail. And God brings about a great victory. And the wheels of the chariots fall off. And so Syria is devastated. And of course he probably was willing to let all of his men die. He runs for his life. He runs. He's running away for his life. And he's by himself And he runs so far, he ends up in a little camp where nobody is there except one young girl, maybe in her teen years. Her name is J.L. She's a little sweet, but she's psycho. I heard it on the radio. I just wanted to prove that I was kind of hip, you know, in the, it didn't work, but it's okay. All right. Because half of you were saying, I don't know what he's talking about. What do we do with it? Okay. And she recognizes him, but he don't recognize her. She knows who he is and he doesn't know who she is. And she's very wise and she offers him warm milk. That's sweetness. You know, there's some people that are sweet here and there's some people that are Bittersweet. I'm ready for some sweetness. I'm talking about real chocolate. I'm not talking about 85%. You know, it's good for you, but you have to wait a little while till you finally get in your mouth the sweetness. You have to... You know who you are. All you 90% real chocolate people. (laughs) And she invites him into her tent because now the warm milk... And the long, long run has worn him out. And she's so kind to give him a place to rest and warm milk. And he lays his head down and she pulls up a, a tent peg. A long, t- we don't know how long it is, but a, a tent peg that would hold down the tent. And she takes a mallet. 
How are you today? Just rest there and sing lullaby. Come on in. Oh, it's good. Isn't that milk good? And tent pegs back here in the mouth. And when he rests his head down, she takes the tent peg to his temple and drives it through his head. Mm. That's psycho. <laughs> kind of gross. <laughs> you see, Bayrock thought that Deborah would get the glory and the honor. I'm okay with that. I'm okay. He would never have submitted, I believe. That young girl somewhere would get the honor. See, he was a leader, but he was frightened. And Deborah was this unique woman. She was used of God. She was respected. But she knew that it was wrong for Barak to shirk his God-given responsibility. He's self-conscious. He doesn't want to stand in the face of opposition alone. So he's compelling this prophetess. And, and where was Deborah? Where did she do her business? Where did she minister to the people? The Bible says she camped under a tree in between two cities. She administered and ministered in a nondescript location. Here's my understanding of Deborah. Deborah was so unique and she was so careful. Watch this. Not to appear to supersede or lord over other men. She did not want to be recognized. She did not want to be seen. She was cautious in her gifting. She was trying to preserve the man's role. And I'm already way off our society and I'm massively counterculture today. She was trying to keep Israel, watch this, from falling into a matriarchal system. There's two systems. There's only two. Patriarch or patriarchal and matriarch or matriarchal. The patriarch is the man. Petra, Petra, man, the husband, the lead in the family, the mature, the mother, matriarch, the woman. A matriarchal system is where the woman leads the family. A patriarchal system is where the husband or the man leads the family. It, it's it's going to happen in time. We're going to see it. In another page, we're going to see it. In fact, when King Ahab rises into power, he'll sit on the throne and he'll reign in, in Samaria, the capital of a divided kingdom. He's the king of Israel. And Ahab is going to showcase the failure of men and his failure would become a distortion of authority. Ahab and Je Jezebel is his wife. This is a picture of a matriarchal society. The position and disposition of the man and the woman Ladies and gentlemen, in your home and in this church and in society dictates the health of the people and whether or not we're in order. Both in the home and in the church. If there's not order in the home, there's not order in the church and then there's no peace. Ahab was the king, but he was a whiny man. Mm -hmm. You know whiny men? Weak, spineless men. See, weak men are hurtful in ways that are hard to measure. Whining men create chaos. And likewise, on the flip side, a dominant woman can create chaos. When you have a whiny man and a dominant woman, they are destructive. <laughs> How are we doing today? I'm going to enjoy myself. 
and get out the back door as fast as I can when this thing's over. I ain't going to the restaurant today. <laughs> Ahab ends up on Mount Carmel with Elijah. Ahab. He's watching all this stuff happen. He's watching the prophets of Baal, the prophets of the grove, the prophets of Jezebel. He watches them build an altar. Nothing happens. He watches the prophet declare Baal as asleep. He watches fire fall from heaven. Yes. He believes in the power of God and in the prophet Elijah. But his wife, to him, becomes greater than God. Elijah has just come from this mountain, but Elijah comes from, from, I'm sorry, but Jezebel comes from some other place. She's like a warm-blooded animal, blind animal, rising from a dark, hot place. All right, never mind. That was another little clue. Words that are said. Get the tape. You watch the weak man, he sounds pitiful. The whiny man sounds pitiful. And in his pitiful state, he creates a matriarchal home. Well, he wants a new truck. He complains about life and about his job. And he moans about what he doesn't have and what other people have. And, and how hard life is all the time. And Ahab goes to Jezebel. He really, he said, I went to Naboth. I saw that vineyard. It was so beautiful, so nice. It's a small piece of property. I know I have the whole kingdom, but I really wanted it. And I gave him a trade and a purchase. Watch it now. On the surface, when Ahab went to Naboth and said, I'd like to have your vineyard, he offered him a large amount of money and favor. He would have, Naboth would have received land, better land, more money, more wealth, all of it, if he would just sell the vineyard to, to the king. But Ahab is so carnal, he cannot understand why Naboth will not sell. Ab Ahab is thinking like a carnal man. He does not understand the value of inheritance. And men who don't understand the value of where they are will blow up their family just to make themselves feel good. They'll destroy their own family for their own gratification. And it happens every day. And so he goes back home to Jezebel. He whined and complained about the fact that Naboth will not sell this little vineyard. I don't know why he won't sell it. And she says, well, you're the king. I'll take care of it for you. And she will kill Naboth and take it because she is a wicked woman who is excelling in tyranny. Ahab is doing two things, ladies and gentlemen. First, he's tearing down the patriarchal system that should be in place and that God put in place. And secondly, he's setting up the matriarchal system that would come to wound the nation, the entire nation. You see, what Deborah refuses to do, Jezebel does to the nth degree. There's always, listen, this is happening all the time. Instead of a woman being confident in her womanhood, she now takes different positions. I'll get into it for a moment. But a man sometimes will lose himself just to, just to satisfy himself and even be attractive to someone. In fact, a man could compromise himself just to get what he wants. I remember the story. 
this guy really, he, he, had, he wanted to get married and he finally found somebody and he, and, 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 and he kept taking these business trips and he kept sitting next to this really beautiful woman on the plane and, and finally he got up the nerve and, he, and they had talked for a long time and finally he said to her, what, what, what do you want in a man? And she said, well, you know, I, I really, I, I want a man that's quick on his feet like an American Indian. And then he was about to say something. She said, oh, and also, I want a man who's really good with money, like a, like a you know, those Jewish men, they're very good with money. Ooh. He was about to say, and she said, oh, one more thing. I want a cowboy. Drive the truck. He's got a gun rack in the back window. They had talked a long time. He had never told her a name. She finally said, oh, by the way, what is your name? He said, well, my name is Geronimo Goldstein. But my friends call me Bubba. <laughs> Whatever you want. Whiny men. Here's the first thing out of a whiny man. If mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. Grow up. That means you're in a matriarchal system. That means you're stepping back from being a man. I'm not talking about being abusive. Uh huh. Don't let your mind go there. Or being ugly, you know what I'm talking about. You may not be handsome, but don't be ugly. <laughs> Come on, tell somebody. You may not be handsome, but don't be ugly. No? <laughs> okay, tell your wife. You may not be. No, don't, don't say that. Don't. don't say, dear Lord, help me. I'm sorry. That was very bad. You see, until there's order in your life, you'll never have boundaries and you'll have chaos. There has to be order because the only way to keep things in their proper place is to have order. So when a man wants to destroy his family, all he has to do is have private addictions. And private addictions strip him of his moral authority. No one has to know, but he won't tell his kids not to do something if he has a private addiction. Because he's lost his moral authority. Mm -hmm. so I'm looking for peace among families and peace among homes. And I don't know how to solve all the depression and anxiety that's afflicting all of us and in our world. But I do know this. If our homes could have peace and tranquility and order and structure hear me there's going to be a lot more opportunity for you to get out of depression and out of anxiety and my concern is we think that coming to church is going to fix our lives this is not the fix it place i wish i could but i've pastored too long to know i didn't die for you i probably won't <laughs> i hope i don't have to because Jesus already did die for you. I, I want to love you, but I probably don't want to die for you. I can't get back up. He did. You only needed one Savior. I'm not your Savior. Let me just tell you, I'm not your Savior. 
I've counseled a lot of people and at the end of the counseling session, I've just said, Lord, I don't know what I just said, but I, I committed to you. And while I was counseling folks, the Lord put words in my mouth. I'm so grateful. But there is a counselor greater than me. In fact, Isaiah 9 and 6 says his name shall be Counselor. But what we're looking for is a human counselor, and I'm not taking away... Listen, if you need counseling, sometimes you need to go to a professional counselor. But don't negate Isaiah 9 and 6, that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The greatest counselor in your life is Jesus Christ. Amen. See, there's larger family issues when things are not in order. I present to you the not-so-happy couple... Isaac and Rebecca, and their story is layered. They showcase the failure of how to equally love your children. The trouble of their marriage is seen through the lives of their two sons, Esau and Jacob. Let me just point this out. A couple defining traits of a dysfunctional family. And you might say we put the fun in dysfunctional some of you do. If you have a dysfunctional family, you're in good company. The first family, Adam and Eve, had a terribly dysfunctional family. They didn't have any bad influence. There's no internet. There's no movies. Netflix wasn't around. I don't even know if they've created any bad words yet. And their boys had trouble, and there was a murder in the first family. One son murdered another son. That's the first family. They didn't have any bad influences. They couldn't blame anybody. There was jealousy, hatred, wrath, and it's innate. You are born with it. And from where I'm standing, there was only four people walking the planet. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Now how much trouble can you get in if there's only four people? You got to get along with four people got to get along. And they couldn't even get along. Come on, let's, let's talk about Christmas vacation. Come on, I want, I, want to get, I want to get into Christmas vacation. You know what I'm talking about. You are already dreading going to Christmas vacation. In fact, the poll read, and Tammy and I talked about this morning, 90% of the people in America are already dreading Christmas vacation. You know why? Because family equals trouble. Mm-hmm. Here's a few traits of a dysfunctional family. Lack of empathy. That's the ability to understand and share feelings for one another. Poor communication. We're going to get into that. Abuse. And I don't want to go down that road, but that's, that's a wide and varied road. Perfectionism. Thinking that everything has to be perfect. Fear. Unpredictability. Denial. Acting like everything's okay, but never really sharing anything. Disrespect for boundaries or no boundaries at all. It's no, no conflict resolution with, with peace. And ultimately, there's no peace in the life. Hear me, young men and young women who are not married yet or single people that are not married or married again. Let me just tell you something. You want to marry someone who brings peace to your life. Just hear me, everybody. If you fight like cats and dogs during your engagement... It won't get better when you get married. 
And people have this insane idea that when they're having marriage trouble, they think to solve it, let's have a baby. The weight is like 60 pounds. I know how we can help ourselves. Throw another 150 on there. And if that doesn't work, have another baby because someone told you two is better than one and you might as well have three. And then someone else told you, like the media, you deserve a break today, so go out and buy a new Chevy. Because that'll make you happy. Because happiness is found in the car. Until you drive it off the lot, you lose 30% of the value and then someone hits you in the parking lot at Kroger. They drive away because they don't really care. And then you go out to your new car. It's got a big dent in the side of it. Mm-hmm. And you lost the new, new smell. <laughs> I don't know what it is about smell, but you know, smell sells. It also repels. <laughs> oh, this is a dangerous road for me. and I got to get back on track here. Mm-hmm. Because the baby looks good, but doesn't always smell good. I walked by someone's baby, and I knew that baby was there. Mm -hmm. You can rebuke a lot of things, but there's some things you just can't rebuke. You just got to walk away from that. I wish I had a witness in this house, but I know it's true. I don't even, you don't even... See, Esau is like his dad and Jacob's like his mother. It doesn't have to be this way. And Isaac prefers Esau. He's more proud of Esau. He's a man's man, he says. And Rebekah takes Jacob to herself. She becomes jealous for Jacob because her husband won't pay any attention to the younger son. She sees him as left out, more refined, more cultured, but left out. So she's going to, think of this, she's going to plot against her husband and use Jacob as the tool. We don't know if she was aware or unaware, but it looks like she was, had some information. She was a little privy to the fact that Jacob was hungry for the birthright. It looks like she knew. See, this family doesn't have either true role. It doesn't really have a patriarchal role. It doesn't have a matriarchal role. They're at odds and it's playing out in the lives of their sons. They're using, hear me, they're using their sons, their children to make a statement against one another. Happens every day. You see, some parents live vicariously through their children. They want their children to experience things they never experienced. But there's a danger in that. In fact, it could be a terrible danger in that. And others, other parents, seek retribution through the lives of their children. So they're going to get allies. They're going to make their children an ally against the opposing parent. This is dysfunctional and will cause great chaos in your family. Rebecca, she spends time with Jacob, but her real problem is that she's angry with her husband. What we know is that Isaac spent enormous time mourning the death of his mother, Sarah. He dwelt in her tents, the Bible said. He was connected so much to his mother that it may be, maybe he, did, did never, he never connected to his wife. In fact, Dr. Hughes proclaims and says that Isaac never really connected with Rebecca because Isaac was mourning the death of his mother. Because his mother showed him favoritism over Ishmael. 
Isaac loved his mother. This has happened many times. There wasn't a true separation. See, there are some men who never leave their father and mother and never cleave to their wife. Oh, boy. And there are some women who never allow their husband to be the head of the family. Because they still look to their father to lead them. All of it is a distortion. When you get married, young men, when you get married, you are now the head of your home. If your home is one of those tiny homes, what is it about the tiny homes? Why are people proud to live in 400 square feet? What is that? $50,000 for 400 square feet. What is that? We're so proud. What? All those people who are living in tiny homes, they've been married like for five, six months. I'll tell you what, if I had a tiny home, I'd have to have two tiny homes. <laughs> you get your tiny home, I'll get my tiny home. We're going to meet in the tiny, tiny yard. <laughs> it's a nonsense. If your table doubles as something else, you're in trouble. The restroom should just be the restroom. That's it. All right. And the family has trouble because they didn't take their roles and responsibilities correctly. And what happens is that leaving and cleaving, watch this, to leave the parents and cleave to your spouse has nothing to do with geography. It has everything to do with authority, headship, direction, and a union where two people come become one. Marriage is not about your in-laws. It's not about your parents. It occurs when a man and a woman become one flesh. That's marriage, for better or for worse. And sometimes it's for better, and sometimes it's for worse. And when you understand that it will be bad sometimes, it'll give you courage to get to the better time and if you can have peace in your home that at least will mitigate the trouble that's going to come there will be trouble in your life you've got to have order if you don't have order you're going to have trouble now comes the distortion and i don't present a new thing it's a prevalent thing the distortion looks like a tree Something's happened to the tree. Somehow, I don't know, early on that tree got bent over. It's growing on an angle. I've seen them. They're not perpendicular with the ground. They're kind of sideways. The root system, then horticulturists say the root system spreads out the other way, away from its lean, just to counterbalance the growth that it's going, it's going sideways. So the, so the root system goes out the other way while a fully formed tree grows straight up and it's healthy. The distorted tree grows on an angle, something has caused it to, sh to shift from its most natural position. While it has all the elements of the tree, it leans, it's always leaning, it strains to keep its balance. That is a chaotic marriage. And that, that could attend to, a, to an abusive man or a dominant woman where matriarchal systems take place. And years will pass, time will move forward. It looks healthy, the tr leaning tree but it's having an effect on its root system. And there's going to come a day when the sheer weight of its growth will be overtaken and it'll fall. 
The matriarchal family is a leading tree. This is where mother leads the family. The woman dictates the process. Watch this. She takes responsibility for all the finances, all the prayer. If there's any prayer in the home, she prays. If there's any devotion, she does the devotion. She makes the commitment. She becomes spiritual. She engages in spiritual endeavors. The man is neither, he, he, he's either not allowed to participate or he has just removed himself because he is apathetic. Many men have checked out of their marriages and their homes. Their body is there, but their spirit is gone. It was God's design for men to lead in worship. It was God's design for men to lead in sacrifice, to lead in prayer. They led in dancing before the Lord. The men led in clapping and rejoicing. And they also led in work. But when our men, young men, went off to World War II, our mothers and our ladies went and took their places at the, at the factories and they found out they could make their own money and there was a distortion after World War II and many of our mothers did not come back home to raise their children. So we developed latchkey kids, we developed cartoons, we developed TV babysitters, we developed TV dinners, and we developed a family that was greatly distorted. Because instead of being at peace with one car, we had to have three cars. Instead of peace with, with, with a few things, we had to have everything. And about that time, Sears and Roebuck created their own first credit card. And you could buy on credit, not everything, but just a washing machine and a dryer. Today, anyone can get a credit card and lose their ever-loving mind with debt. We're giving $100,000 student loans to young people that have no ability to pay it back. They're 18, in their life away and you want to ask me well what can I what can I do to make my fa- my family better you got to get order in your life and set up some boundaries because some folks leave the church because they feel guilty because they don't have any money to give their tithing because they've over leveraged everything that's right okay I'm teaching you a little bit babies escaped Just doing what we were doing. See, it was God's design. This was a God design. And we know it as the patriarchal system. Patriarchs were commissioned to lead the nations and their villages and their communities. It doesn't mean that the woman didn't have value. It doesn't mean that the woman, the woman was the balance of the man. In fact, I've said it before. God said, this is good, that's good, that's good, that's good. In fact, he created everything in six days and, and stood back and said, it's all good. The first time that God said it's not good, he said it's not good for man to be alone, Genesis 2.18. That means the first problem happened and God said something wasn't good and the woman was the answer to the first problem in the world. So before you guys think, That you're going to walk out of here and say, no, you need to be submissive. We're patriarchal system here. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What did he do for the church? How are you supposed to love your wife? Die. Get beaten. Go to work. When you get home from work, you might have to go get another job. All right. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't be a whiny man. Don't put your family in harm's way. Don't shirk a responsibility. 
Amen. It's going so well. <laughs> I just literally feel like someone's going like that. I'm coming back in January. <laughs> See, the matriarchal system uses a few tools to dominate their families and their husbands. Number one, they use, there's several different tools. One, they use aggressiveness. See, she presents herself as an angry, unsettled woman. She's straightforward in her approach. This is how it's going to be. There's no tenderness in her. She provides no peace in her home. She's not clothed with peace. Her, she does not have a meek and quiet spirit. She's a dominant woman. She's aggressive. She'll tell you that's just how I was raised. The Bible says it's better to be in a small attic with a content wife than to be in a large house with a brawling woman. Is that your favorite verse? Raise your hand. Is that my favorite verse in the Bible, Pastor? I'm so glad you brought it out today. The second way that, that she creates the matriarchal system. See, he's removed himself. See, really, it was Barak, not Deborah. It was Barak. He should have led, but he didn't lead. He, he, Ahab should have led. It wasn't Jezebel that did that. It was Ahab that did it because he didn't want to take responsibility. He has covetous in his heart. He, he has a desire in his heart and he wants something that doesn't belong to him. He can't be content. And so he's leading his wife into this realm of dominance. Deborah did not want that. Ladies, when you're used of God, just know this. You're never used of God to a point where you lord over other men. Don't, I don't care how many gifts you have. You never supersede your husband or the other men of the church ever. Never. And, I, and I'll tell you right now, I don't know, maybe it's my age or my contact with all these ministers around the country. There's a bunch of spiritualist women who are ruining churches. They're ruining churches. They are belittling their men and they're belittling their pastor's wives. And they're trying to be on the same plateau as their pastors. It has gotten out of control. So I just want to stand here and just a little pre preventive medication here. We are going to work together. Now, men, that means if, the, if your wife or if the ladies of the church take a, take a little step back and let you lead, you better get up and lead. You better not be crossing your arms and looking, looking at the front and wondering what's going on. You better be leading. The Baptist ministers have said this, and I read Dr. R. Kent Hughes, who is a phenomenal Baptist minister and writer, and he says that now 78% of people who attend church are women. Incredible. 78%. Why? Because men are unengaged. They're not engaged. Hear me, men of New Life Fellowship, be engaged. Be a man of prayer, of honor, godliness, holiness, love, worship, work, giving, devotion, commitment, consecration, dancing, worshiping, everything. The second way that she does it is through drama. She's a drama queen. Mm -hmm. a drama queen the matriarchal systems are always set up with drama queen see drama queen now, a man can be drama too don't don't you know men can be drama you know. but i just call him the whiny man and the drama woman 
Drama, drama queen, she, um, she cries. <laughs> Nobody loves me. I feel terrible. I need a new ring. Oh, just a pedicure. That's what I've got to have. We don't have the money. I know, but I'm worth it. Aren't I worth it to you? Don't I mean anything to you? She's emotional. She has emotional outbursts. She's drama. Constantly she's in, uh-oh, crisis. She's constantly in crisis. She loves herself and she wants to devote her attention to herself. And she's unpredictable. She's a drama queen. And drama queen wives will ruin the family and create a matriarchal system. And men are not equipped. I just want you to know we're not equipped. I don't know. The first time that Tammy started crying. When we got married. I felt so terrible. Now when she cries, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. (laughs) I was so brash, harsh. I would say things is harsh. And Tammy was tender. She'd come in tender. She never heard words like this. And, And at one point, you know, I was just, we were having fun and, you know, I, I would say something, that's bad for you, that's bad. I had to learn how to come down and she had to learn how to come up. We, we had to meet in the middle. We were in a revival in Ohio, I believe it was Toledo, Ohio, Tammy, and someone brought to us a beautiful, beautiful plate of warm, homemade chocolate chip cookies. I was just nuts. I don't know what I was thinking. I was not preferring my wife. And I just looked at those chocolate chip cookies and I knew I'm just not going to get fat. And I took those things and I, it had a plastic on them. And I just took the whole thing, just it, put it right in the trash thing. It was, there was nothing in the trash. We just got into the hotel and, the, and it put the whole thing right there. It said, we're not going to eat these chocolate chip cookies. I should not have done that. That was a bad thing. I was not preferring my wife. I did not lay down for her or die for her or anything. And she was so offended. I left the room and she got those cookies out. And she unraveled them. She started eating those cookies. (laughs) I didn't know about it for years later. (laughs) Eating out of the trash. What kind of woman did I marry? I like that. Let me tell you, young ladies... You want to know how to destroy your future husband? Be a drama queen. Ladies, you know how to, you know how to destroy your family? Weep and cry and go into crisis all the time and be unpredictable and emotional every given turn. It's, it's, it's terrible. It happens all the time. In fact, people sometimes leave the church not because of doctrine. Few people leave because of doctrine. Few people, they leave because their families are steeped in drama. Instead of a man saying to his wife, a husband saying, get a hold of yourself. That's what Job had to do because his wife was fed up. She just said, hey, you are bad news. You're, God's cursed you. All our kids are dead. You're poor. I didn't marry a poor man. Got boils all over your body. You don't look good. I don't even really like you. Why don't you just curse God and die? And Job had to stand up and say, you talk like a foolish woman. That's 
kind of harsh. But she was trying to lead him away from the plan of God. And let me tell you, if your wife tries to lead you away from the church and the plan of God, at least stand up and say, I love you. But that's foolish talk and we're not doing that mess. not all about the women becoming matriarch because because i'll tell you what happens men just they well we'll just let their wives kind of go dude i I just like for her to worship well where did your worship come from where'd your worship go when did you start worshiping god don't make a demand of your spouse that you are unwilling to fulfill yourself come on men come on be a man don't be no whiny man you don't have to be proud, but don't hang your head if you're still driving a 1979 Pinto with a, with a coat hanger holding up the, holding up the muffler. It's okay. Get to church and love God. Be proud. If that thing keeps backfiring every time, it's just, listen, who cares if it shuts off and it's still running? You just get in the house of God. Someday it'll stop. It don't matter what you drive. It matters how you worship. It don't matter what you wear. It matters how your attitude is. It matters your spirit, your integrity, your love, your compassion. That's right. And the last thing that a woman will do to create a matriarchal society is is operating through lust. Now men are far more lustful visually than a woman is. I'll get to you men in a second. But when a woman operates out of lust, it is revealed as an outward display on her body or her person. She can ruin her family because she becomes or appears sexual. Because some women don't wear clothes to cover up. They wear clothes to get attention. Now I'm kind of I'm naive in this matter. I don't have that sense. I don't have that. Many, many years ago, we were in the old building. It was a long time ago. And we were sitting there having a conversation. And when we got out of that conversation, Tammy said, that woman was flirting with you. No, she wasn't. She was enjoying my words of wisdom. What are you talking about? I was used of the most high God. I'm anointed man of the cloth. I don't know what cloth that is. I don't know. Kleenex. I didn't know. Yes. Remember when she tilted her head, smiled, put her finger on her chin, crossed her leg, then crossed it back, then had her little foot going like that, and then all oh, this tough and pleasant. When she looked over at me, she was cold, but when she looked at her, she was smiling. She was flirting with you. I'll tell you what, men, your wives know what's going on even though you're dumb. <laughs> Young men, hear me. Don't marry a dumb wife. Women know what other women are doing. Men, I want that apple. I want that apple. I want that fruit. I want that, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. I'll go get the tree. I'll go get it. I'll get whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Your wives know what's going on. They know. Listen, many years ago, 
the church was in bad shape and, and there was issues. But Tammy made it very clear that she was going to be the balance in my life, and she was. And whatever you think that I'm doing up here, the only reason why I get to do that is because there's a little lady sitting right there that allows me to do this. I can't do this unless she allows me to do it. And what I am, I am at home, not in front of you. If you knew how good that was, you'd really be clapping and saying, thank you, Lord. I'm running out of time. See, lust is a phenomenal thing. Everybody has it and no one is exempt. I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord. Everybody deals with lust. (laughs) It may not be sexual lust, but it could be other lustful things. We lust after things. In fact, the root of all sin is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All sin can be related to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so when a, when a woman or a mother wants to create a matriarchal home, she, she delves into deep lust, and it comes in various forms. Now, a man can do this also, but his is, is showcased or exemplified in a different way. I can't do that today. See, the family matters. It matters what kind of relational system is in your home and your life because that system that you create in your home is what brings about order and order brings about peace. The good thing, ladies and gentlemen, is that it's never too late to change your life right now. But change often means pain. I don't even think that leadership is very good without bleedership. You got to bleed to lead. And bleedership means sometimes there's pain. I got to crucify my flesh. To get where I need to be, I got to crucify my flesh. I'm not saying you don't need medication. You don't need to see a doctor. I'm not saying don't go to a counselor. But I believe we have over-medicated ourselves. And we did not spend any time with God. We didn't want to crucify our flesh, so we just, we just subdued it with medicine and prescriptions. It's a lot easier to take a pill than to repent. It's a lot easier to go to the doctor than to go to the altar and cry and go back to your family and say, I'm sorry, I've messed up. I should have been a better leader. I should have been a better husband. I wanted to be a good husband but I've messed up. Would you forgive me? I'm going to take the lead now. And when you start to do that, it'll revolutionize your family and your children. I wish you could hear me today. Don't wait until you're in trouble to find a solution. It's easier to eat correctly than to have a surgery and have rehabilitation. Because the rehabilitation that comes after the surgery is long, it's arduous, it's painful. But if you'll just take care of your spiritual life now. Oh my. I want you to be holy. And I'm not talking about H-O-L-Y. This has nothing to do with being H-O-L-Y, though that's good. I'm talking about, write it down, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, whole. When you get to the point that you're trying to get to, you should be holy, holy. 
Because I know a lot of folks who are trying to be holy, that just means religious, but their lives are fractured, their marriages are falling apart, they have no communication with their children. They're angry with their spouse, they're dividing their, their husband and wife by their kids, they're trying to find allies all the time. They look around and think, we got to be the perfect family. There is no such thing as the perfect family. I call it the lie of the perfect. The lie of the perfect. I'm not trying to be perfect. Perfect is the airbrush that hides reality. There's a, I, I, just, I just saw this. Someone showed it to me. There's an app on a phone. You take your picture and you push the app and the picture does this little thing to your whole face, everything, your whole body, and it just kind of straightens out everything. And then if you push it a couple times and it kind of makes you, and then all of a sudden now you can present yourself uh, to all of your fake friends on Facebook. That this is what you look like. And they all give you the thumbs up. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. You, that wasn't even you, man. That was the app on the phone. I did that a couple times. I turned out to be six foot three, black hair and blue eyes. I was from, some people turn out like they're, now they're from Norway. What are you talking about, man? That's what's happening in the world today. Perfect. We want to be perfect. You're not perfect. You're not perfect. Stop back like you're perfect. You're not perfect. Stop presenting. Know this. Your family is not going to be perfect, but it can be orderly and it can be healthy. Wait till next week. We're going to talk about it. In fact, next week, I just want to share with you right now. Next week, I'm going to, I'm going to share with you 10 ways to destroy your family. It's a wonderful lesson. You're going to love it. It's going to be the best lesson you've ever heard. Much better than today. See, Photoshop has become a sense of presentation, but to heal, and I want you to be healthy and healed. Let me tell you, if you'll get your house in order and become healed, this place will become a powerful place. There's no telling what God could do if we presented our, the, our, ourselves before the Lord, holy, holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y, H-O-L-Y. We present ourselves holy, holy before the Lord. What could God do? Do you know how long it takes for us to get into the presence of God? It takes a long time because we're dealing with anxiety and fear and depression. We walk in, not with praise in our lips, but we're walking in, downtrodden, need to get picked up. About halfway through the song service, we're crying. Listen, I want you to cry, but is that what you do every service? Do you come down and weep every service? Are you in, are you in mourning every time you come? That's not worship. That means something's wrong with you out there that you gotta come in here and think, I've gotta get fixed today. This is not a filling station, not a gasoline station where you get filled up. I'm presenting something to you today. I know you're gonna cry and there's gonna be times, but there's also a time to rejoice. There is a season and a time to dance and shout. If you're always in mourning, it means that something is wrong and there's chaos at home. Oh yes. Yes, I'm after something. Let me tell you just a few things that will help you with healing. To heal takes patience. You've got to be patient with yourself. 
It takes forbearance. You've got to forbear one another. That means you refrain from executing what is rightfully yours to execute a judgment. It takes understanding. It takes honesty. It takes love. I present two chairs in closing to you. Two chairs. This is my chair that I sit in. And um, I like this chair. We've had this chair for almost 20 years now. 19 years, I think, we've had this chair. And that one too. And that's the chair I sit in at home. And this is the chair Tammy sits in. Now, I can sit in that chair and she can sit in that chair, but she likes her chair and I like mine. It's just what, where we've gone to. And when we're reading or talking, this is what we're doing. She's in her chair and I'm in my chair. Her chair is no better than mine and mine is no better than hers. But they're distinct. They're different. They look different. They feel different. They sound different. They appear different. Our children know where we're supposed to be. When we're in our proper chairs, there's order in our home. And when there's order in our home, there's peace in our home. And I'm going to tell you right now, life is too short for me to walk around with great anxiety. Life is too short for me not to find my proper place. But when I get in my proper place and Tammy's in her proper place and we're working together and I'm talking, and I'll talk about it next week, financially and emotionally and biblically and spiritually and relationally. When we get in our proper place, guess what happens in our home? We become a united front. First, we become a united front against the devil. Because the devil would love to destroy your marriage. We're only three or four good divorces away, affairs away from blowing up this church and splitting it. All you have to do is have an affair with someone else in the church and we'll have a quick division right away. Happens all the time. In fact, in one particular church, eight couples were having affairs and the church dilapidated and died because no one could stay in their proper place. That's right. And the second thing it does, the United Front helps us emotionally because now we're going at everything together. And thirdly, it helps us with our children because no one (laughs) can divide me and Tammy like those four, where did they come from? Those four kids. Well, mom said I could, and dad, you don't know why you're so mean to me. Mom, dad said I could. Why are you so angry all the time? Whatever it is. They're clever. They've been working at this. In fact, when they're born out of the hospital, I don't know, someone teaches them how to manipulate your parents. Did you know your kids were learning how to manipulate you? They manipulate you. Even if you're a single father, a single mother, they know how to do it. They employ everything. Tears, heartache, comparisons. Well, hey, Sawyer has it. Dear God, if I hear one more time Sawyer in my house every day, Sawyer this and Sawyer that. He must be the greatest kid in the world. I don't know what you did, Tico Alexi, but, but Sawyer is so wonderful. And I say to Reagan, what are you talking about? Sawyer's so wonderful. And Sawyer does the same thing. He's telling everybody, Reagan's the best driver in the world. He can drive his truck. He never speeds, which is true. But of course, it's an old truck. It's like 21 years old, you know. It goes zero to 60 right under four minutes. It's wonderful. (laughs) 
When those chairs are together, when they are together, distinctly different, powerfully together, it becomes a united front against anything. And I'll just tell you, if I have you, honey, that's all I need. We can do anything if we're together. That's right. No doubt. No put on. No facade. But if you and I are together... I don't care what devil walks in. We're going to kick the devil out. I don't care what people problems we have. We're going to deal with that. I don't care what the kids say. We're going to stay together because we've decided to be together. We're going to have order in our home. We're going to have peace. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for peace in your home and peace in the church. Come on, stand to your feet right now. We're clapping our hands unto the Lord. And out of your mouth, just say it, Lord. Give it to me, Lord. I'm hungry for it. I'm hungry for it. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this day. I pray you bless all the people. Bless our lives. We need it, Lord. I pray for all the marriages, homes, and all the single folks here, all the single fathers and single mothers. I pray that you bless them. All the, all the blended families that have to contend with outside influences, Lord. I pray for wisdom and understanding and guidance, I pray. I pray for the peace of the saints. We don't want to just be religious in that sense, Lord. We want to be right before you. I want to be saved. I pray for all the struggles. I know this one session, Lord, is not going to fix everything that I intended for. But let there be understanding and eyes to be opened. I'm asking you for it, Lord Jesus. Ah, thank you, Father.